This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about four relationship limiting mistakes clients make. We very recently did an episode entitled Four Business Limiting Mistakes Agencies Make, and I promised you a rebuttal to that one. So today, that's where we're going to focus. This is the culmination of my 15 years on the agency side of the world and the things that I observed and experienced there, as well as some of what Ann and I experienced now that she has joined me on the dark side. (laughs) Well, I, of course, provide some balance and keep April honest as the tables are turned on this one. But in all seriousness, we always try to keep the score even and ensure that you get the best of the best when it comes to the insider perspective, because we know it's hard to get that info any other way. Yeah. And we always cover these topics as a help to making relationships better on both sides. So that's ultimately our intent here, because we know that there's two sides to every story and a lot of gray, especially when you're talking about relationships that are historically somewhat contentious. Mm -hmm. And with that, let's jump into four relationship limiting mistakes clients make. Should be a short episode. (laughs) I'm going to purposely make it two hours. No, I won't do that. (laughs) All right. Number one, treating the agency like a vendor instead of a partner. This is a big one. We talked in Anne's episode about the fact that when we left the Mad Men era and the world was able to access all the creative tools with the advent of computer software and honestly, secondary software that was more user friendly to the general user, some of the magic and control that the agencies had was just poof, gone. The flashy ideas of creative minds were then undermined and agencies had to and continue to have to reinvent themselves ever since. One of the issues with this shift is that along the way, agencies not only lost any sort of upper hand, they were actually demoted even further to the opposite role, and that's of that of the vendor. So to the point of the episode and relationships, this positioning does the opposite of setting the agency up to be any sort of partner to the client. It becomes an order taker mentality, and it makes it seem as though it's very one-sided, where the client has the complete upper hand and the agency is left to do as they are told. Now, as with all these points and with Anne's episode, I'm not saying this is always the case or that every client does this. I'm certainly not saying that. But what I'm cautioning against is assigning tasks without rationale or any sort of bigger picture explanation or a dialogue between the agency and the client, because agencies really do thrive when they're, they feel like they're part of the client team and then are by nature creative minds and bigger picture thinking, at least the good ones are. Mm-hmm. And when this is thwarted, a especially from the very beginning of any kind of interaction, the energy just tanks and the desire to work with you on the client side or on your business really isn't there. And I would say if you feel like your agency is phoning it in, maybe take a step back and assess whether you're in this situation, even if you've inadvertently landed here, because it can totally happen to the point of the intro with the two sides to every story. Things happen, things go wrong. So maybe take a pause and take a step back and take a look at where you are. Yeah. Now, I, I my experience has mostly been when the pendulum swings back the other way, which is in treating agencies like a partner some for some reason a lot of client side feels that that means to defer to them yeah right that's fair 
So a lot of times on the client side, when we were briefing agencies, we would withhold some valuable perspective, frankly, or any thoughts we had or ideas because we didn't want to, quote unquote, interfere with the agency's creative process or, quote unquote, do their job for them. Right. More that latter part is more of like kind of treating them like a vendor, so to speak. Right. Yep. But what happens is in not sharing these is when the agency comes back, we're kind of inadvertently looking for our solution in the work that they are providing. And when we don't see it, we kind of diminish all the other work because we had this idea that we were actually very passionate about or we thought was the right way to go or we thought was like, you know, a really good opportunity. And then we would kind of rate the work against that and not be happy with any of the work because it didn't meet that ideal that we had in our head already because we didn't actually share that ideal, <laughs> nor did we kind of you know, provide any perspective for the agency to understand that. I say all this to say is that your agency can't read your mind. Mm-hmm. And if you're sending them out there to find a solution that you already have in your head, that is an inadvertent way of treating them like a vendor and not like a partner. I understand, and I think April will say that they appreciated when you're not overly prescriptive, and we're going to get that to that in a second, sure. about like trying to do the creative for them, but not giving them enough of your insight or what's in your mind, at least to start the conversation or have a collaborative discussion about it, just sets them up for failure to begin with. Yeah, and, and going back to the what good agencies do... The ones that are highly strategic do want the input from the clients. They want to understand where their head is starting. And to Anne's point, they, they don't we don't want you to be prescriptive about what to do with it. But I do think that it can be appreciated as, oh, OK, I can see where they're going, even if it's begrudging sometimes. Yeah. To where it's like, OK, well, they know the business. So if we can bake this in some way That will make us look smarter. It'll address what that person said. And then we can position the presentation in a way where you do hear what you were looking for fed back to you. Right, right, right. All right. Point number two, limiting the agency's exposure too much. So again, this is a rebuttal. In Anne's episode, she talked about the agency's desire to know everything under the sun and be exposed to only the highest level of people, Uh to which I answered very truthfully, yes, that can absolutely happen. But on the other side of that, and Anne's spoken to this a little bit already, I've experienced a lack of information and exposure, which often then left us in a place of throwing up our hands because we didn't know how to reconcile the situation we were in and always felt like we were on our heels. So Anne addressed the reason that this can sometimes happen. But, you know, for us, it's like, well, we feel handcuffed because you didn't tell us that last time or that would have been a useful bit of information to know as we went down this path, those types of things. This is where briefs are hugely, hugely important to the process because they can make sure everyone's tracking, hold the parties accountable. But on the other side of that, a brief cannot do everything. And so if the project isn't set up correctly from the start, even the brief can't help. And so I do have some specific tips that can get things off on the right track. So here they are. Aligning on the information the agency desires And that the client believes they need and are agreeing to. Please note the agreement part of that. Having that set up discussion so that everyone hears everyone and they come to an agreement at the end of it. 
identifying all key stakeholders on the client side and who will play what role. This lets the agency know who's going to be making decisions and who's going to be providing input and then can give the chance for the agency to weigh in at that point in time if they have concerns. So Mm -hmm. not as the presentations are happening or not when they're asking for people to be at the table. This is the let's set all the rules and guidelines. Number three is setting up a process for the project with key milestones. This is not new or groundbreaking, but visibility to the end and the process to getting there helps the agency know what they will get from you, who the right people are, that the people will be there when they need it. So it kind of just is a peace of mind thing, kind of setting out the timeline of what's going to happen. And then open lines of communication. You know the expression out there about the best laid plans. It exists like all of them do for a reason. There is no set it and forget it when you are in relationships and people are not perfect. So just as you client wouldn't want the agency to go off and work for three months without calling you at all and then bring you this polished thing that you don't like or align to, we have to feel like we have a trusted partner that we can go to and someone that will help us address any issues we run into Mm -hmm. as we were doing the work. Agencies want to work for clients that want to work with them in the right capacity. And I know there are clients that are shaking their heads out there and saying, that is not true. That is not my experience. But when all of this is set up for success from the beginning, it actually can be a very enjoyable experience for everyone. And the agency feels like they have what they need and they aren't going to be surprised or given and fed additional crumbs of information as they go with work that's wasted time and energy and all of those things. Yeah, I I think that's all really well said. And I'll, I'll just give the perspective from the other side. And this is really, really, really going behind the curtain. So listen up, agency folks, if you're really wanting to know why your client is limiting your exposure. It's usually for three reasons. OK, so and one of them is not ego. <laughs> I know it feels like that sometimes, but that is not one of them. So the first one is speed. So the more decision makers generally means extended timelines in trying to get those people engaged. It is one of the most frustrating things in the world when you have to do milestone conversations and then bring in more of the leadership, trying to get on their calendars, trying to get them together, Mm -hmm. trying to get them together for a sufficient amount of time to go through the work. It is probably one of the most frustrating things ever. It almost always delays timelines. So if they're not bringing people in, if they're trying to limit exposure, it's usually for the sake of speed. The second is focus. So the agencies do tend to cater to the highest person in the room versus what is in the brief or being directed by the client lead. It's happened more times than this ha- not happened. And so there's an element of trust there. So if a, a, a client lead is feeling like they're going to be undermined in the process mm-hmm. of bringing other people in, they're not going to do it, right? Because they're not going to risk losing control of their project or having to go back and fix all the swirl that happens as a result if they can't trust you, all right? Now, if you feel like, again, your client lead isn't representing the work in the way that they should be, then you need to have that conversation with your client lead. And then you can gently suggest, hey, it might be time to have like a bigger conversation with, you know, whoever are the right stakeholders to have that conversation with. It's not necessarily going to the highest person that you can get to. It's whatever another stakeholder is that has a stake in the project that is going to have potentially a voice in the work, okay? And then the third one is really simplicity. So more cooks in the kitchen generally creates more swirl, right? It generally, and and like I said, this is not an ego thing. It's just a fact of when you get more ideas, when you're generating more thoughts, you have to have, you have more stuff to, to, that you have to deal with. It doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't be seeking out feedback, 
It just means when you do, you have to do something with it. And then you have to follow up with why you didn't do something with it if you don't decide not to do something with it. So it just creates a lot of swirls. So those are usually the reasons why clients limit exposure. It's Again, it's not generally ego. I mean, it can be. I won't say that it won't, that it's never. But it's, those are generally the, the big three reasons. Well, and I like these points and I would encourage clients to communicate these points, right, so that the agency isn't left to wonder the reasons why. And mm-hmm. I think the point of this point is to make sure that it is clearly laid out what is happening when and why. And so when you have all of this and you can frame the reasons on the client side, why you hear that they want to talk to more people or they want, you know, and you can reframe it for the agency of, well, yeah, but it's going to take more time and then we're going to have, you know, more rounds or whatever. Then you can get to a more objective conversation place about what you want to do together and what concessions you will or will not make versus an emotionally charged conversation, which is what we're trying to avoid. That's fair. All right. Number three, heavy handedness in the work product. I know this one's going to be controversial and Anne's going to have a perspective here. (laughs) And I know it's because sometimes, and she is overt in her opinion on this, agencies just want to make the most creative thing and win awards. (laughs) And that's at odds with the business of the client and what they're trying to achieve. And I fully acknowledge that. But, and this is a big but, when the client tries to insert themselves too much into the process of creating the work and the end result, it's really not helpful to the agency team, their process, or their creative abilities. That's never been my experience. Oh, Jesus. All right. (laughs) Except for if you're in Candido. Except for if you're in Candido. All right. So there's exceptions to the rule. (laughs) On the other side of this, good agencies do welcome client collaboration and feedback at appropriate times. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is when the client oversteps their bounds and wants to prescribe to the first point about treating your agency like a vendor, what the solution is, and then how they want that solution to come to life. And this is where we say client needs to back off a little bit, trust the process, trust the brief. If we've done step number two and aligned, then we should be in a good spot to let the agencies go and do their thing. So here are some of the big specific no-nos that agencies don't like on top of this overall point. Goodness, here we go. (laughs) This is a big one, guys. This is a whole lot of me unloading. All right. (laughs) A A desire to be in all of the internal meetings and actively participate. This might be a slight exaggeration, but this is back to the point of overstepping. Agencies do have a process. It does not include the client micromanaging the work. We have to have some time and space to be able to create. That's why it's called the creative process, not the client process. The second one, the feeling that they know best on all things related to their business. As the client, you absolutely know your business better than we could ever expect to, or honestly, in most cases, more than we ever want to. But what we know is the outside consumer or customer facing lens, which serves to complement your in-depth knowledge of the business from the inside out. And we believe the magic happens when these two complement each other in equal parts. If you insert yourself here and try to do both roles, it eliminates ours and it just doesn't get to the best product of the work. Number three, a list of must-haves so long that we cannot be creative at all because we just have to fit them all on whatever we're executing. 
This one campaign or project or execution or even brand development cannot solve every single issue of the business or be a single point of communication for every consumer or customer interaction. It's why brand and marketing campaigns exist, because it provides lots of pieces and parts that have to work together. So really specific example. This one did happen once. 22 claims on a juice box the size of a toddler's hand is never going to fit. It won't. Same goes. We just make the print really small. <laughs> yeah. So no one can read it. Big, big, good investment there. Same goes for expecting someone to read multiple lines of text on a billboard while flying by on the highway. Seven word headlines, people. Seven words. <laughs> and finally, full orchestration of every presentation to client teams. Yes, we should be aligned. You should see the work first. I've always been a firm believer in that. I actually never was one of the people that wanted to present to the whole team because all the things that Ann says when that happens are true. You got to have someone that's in your corner that you can present to first and that is part of the process at that manageable level. And you should have input to how we present. It is your team after all, and you know them better than we do. But another but here. We have to be able to present our work against our creative process and get the feedback we need to make revisions and set our team and our agency up for success. You can and should serve to tell us any of the landmines, the hot buttons, the personality issues we'll be dealing with in the room. But having a client write the script for every word we're going to say and every single thing we're going to show is not going to work. It comes across really inauthentic. Mm -hmm. It will not be helpful to next steps. Client teams can snip that stuff out on both sides. It makes that direct client and the agency look bad. And it makes it look like we're being really contrived and trying to dictate what the answers are versus actually looking for buy-in or feedback in those situations. So instead of those, to be helpful here, I'm going to offer some counters. So number one, fully expect to be part of the process and brought in to give thoughts and feedback as it makes sense. Share all applicable information on your business, but let us respond creatively and kind to that information. Mm-hmm. Be choiceful in the must-haves and be flexible where you can. I promise it will result in better work in the long run. And finally, review of the work and a hand in the presentation to your team is absolutely acceptable. Do you feel better? I feel better. Okay. (laughs) Just making sure. Got it all out. Got it all out. All right. Well, I mean, you know, this one's a really, really hard one, as you you prefaced up for me at the very beginning. Because I have seen, like I said it go more the other way yep. where the client side is not, I won't say heavy handed, but it's not prescriptive enough yep. in defining or shaping what they want out of the work. And so this is where I've seen an agency get in trouble where then I see the heavy handed does come in. So for example, in an effort to, um, I'll use this very specific example, in an effort to try not to not limit the creativity one of our briefs for Super Bowl for Tide was, we want Tide to be the biggest brand in Super Bowl. <laughs> okay? That was the brief. I mean, that was basically, and actually it was not my recommendation, but that was basically what the brand team decided to put out in front of the agency in order to give them a very broad range of what they're able to go do and what they're able to go think about. What the agency heard was, oh, the handcuffs are coming off, uh, right? Uh-huh. What they should have realized after working with us for two years is that 
eh, we're kind of holding the key, <laughs> but we're not really like unhooking the handcuffs yet. So, and, and therefore I, the PTSD, folks. Exactly. So what they what what they should have probably done, and I'm not saying that they should have known to do this, but they kind of should have was um to come back more frequently to say. Is this okay? Mm-hmm. Is this okay? As opposed to again, what they did was go away for two months, right, and try to develop all these great, great ideas that were way outside the box of probably what in any like decade Tide would do. And when they came back, we're like, we can't do any of these. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point we didn't have a Tide. Super Bowl campaign that year because we we ran out of time. We couldn't find anything that we liked. And that's when the the repetition became so like monotonous and so mundane that everybody just totally lost energy for anything having to do with <laughs> doing that. We just couldn't find something like that we all felt passionate about because we were just basically all worn down. So my my advice here for the agency is is when you get those things that you feel like, oh, the handcuffs are now off. My my client is not being heavy handed. Be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that you're really thinking about the past and making sure that you're being mindful of that, because sometimes, you know, some things are too good to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so if they feel too good to be true, they probably are. That being said, there have been times when I have been heavy-handed, and there's been a couple of places um, for that. One is when I feel like the work is just too safe. Mm -hmm. Um, When I feel like the work is too safe or I feel like the work hasn't been really strategically thought through or nobody really worked to find, like, the clever new way to kind of uh, express this, especially being in a communications and a PR world where you always had to think of, like, the, the way to kind of cleverly put a very iconic... You know, especially in a fabric care, like a commoditized brand out in the universe and make it sound interesting. I got a lot of, well, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's fabric care and it's laundry detergent, you know? And I'm like, well, then I will think of the ideas and you go execute them because I can think of a million ways to make laundry detergent seem cool. If you don't want to think about it, then I will think about it, right? By the way, we fired that agency just, just to you know, be totally transparent. I also have been heavy handed when I feel like the work is self-serving back to the agency. Mm-hmm. Again, to the point that you made about if I feel like it's just in an effort to showcase something or look good or um, ride a trend that doesn't really have anything to do with us or that I know that they want to like uphold as being like, this is what our agency does so they could sell it to all other clients. I'm like, that's when I was also heavy handed. I'm like, why? Where? Like, how is this going to pursue our brand? And then I had to bring it back down and then I had to give them very prescriptive design criteria in order to go execute in the way that it's intended. So those are two different sides of the spectrum, but I thought it was important to kind of share that perspective. Yeah. And I think, like we said, you know, there are always good and bad relationships when it comes to this stuff, right? So I think what you're hearing here is the thing we love to do most, which is debate back and forth our different perspectives. And I think something that, you know, you said, Anne, was... First of all, I would argue that the statement by Tide wasn't a brief. And so someone should have oh, called that. That's why I said which, I disagreed. Yeah. I disagreed. I didn't think. <laughs> yes. But I mean, it's, it's also I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about it's not agency have your cake and eat it, too. Right. So someone on the agency side should have been strategically looking in that brief and saying there's a whole lot of landmines here. And I think that's where some of the problems you describe happen is when 
it's not a good agency or the infrastructure isn't right or there's not the right people on the team and lots of things we've talked about, which are definitely agency pitfalls for sure. And so no one's there to kind of take that step back and be like, this sounds like a whole lot of fun. This sounds like a disaster to me. And so I think you're right in that there are reasons for sure for the heavy handedness. There are also things that I think is agency onus that all isn't always identified as such. And that's where like the finger pointing starts happening. Right. And so I've used this example before, and I've said we've had a very successful outcome, but the very successful outcome came when we said we want to be the most popular brand of the Super Bowl, and it looks like this, mm-hmm. right? So this yep. is what it looks like when we when we define it to help with what the success looks like. That started helping to rein in, yep. and I'm going to actually, I'm, gonna, I'm superseding something I was going to say later, but like that helped to rein in what success looked like. Here, there was no success defined. No in a way that was meaningful back to the brand, except for we want to be the most popular brand in Super Bowl, right? So a brief, two versions of the brief. One, like it's not necessarily, to your point, the statement that was made, but that in itself is in a brief. The brief that defines what that statement means in the context of the brand. this is what you're held accountable to. Becomes a brief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, number four, providing feedback that is not helpful. We have talked before about just throwing up all over agency work. We've talked about the vendor mentality in the episode very overtly. So first of all, just remember your agency is made up of people. And we've talked about this before. Creatives can be sensitive. (laughs) So and I can say that because I have half of that, I feel like. So please be kind where you can. All right. That's just one general statement. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen bad behavior on that front where someone takes out their bad day on us. And that's as far as I'll go. Anyway, on the other hand, if the agency has not delivered against the brief, you have the full authority to give it to them. And if they do any of the bad behaviors from Ann's episode or the commentary she just gave, I also give you license to do it from that perspective. But other than that, really respectful, objective feedback that's actionable and tied to the brief is necessary if you're going to get a good end result without killing each other. (laughs) Anne talked in her episode, and I think this was a fair point, about enthusiasm waning over the course of presentations. And I think this is a lot of times the reason. It's the feedback loop and it's the way it's presented and it's the type of the style by which things are said. So I think all of that is to say continue to go back to that brief. I mean, we just debated the brief as kind of an aside there for a couple of minutes. Go back to that and think about how to give the feedback so it doesn't feel like an attack on the creative. And I'm always one for direct, right? But I do think sometimes it goes a little far, especially if you know that the person presenting, it's their ideas. Like, just remember that like this is, they're in this business because they are passionate about what they Mm do. And that being a creative means you have a lot of emotion tied to stuff. So that's what I will say about that. Also, please do not provide non-actionable feedback. I said this before, but it's worth reiterating. The very worst thing you can ever say, I'll know it when I see it. Anne already said your agencies are not mind readers. We can't predict the future and nothing breaks our spirit faster and sends us into a swirl than that statement alone. Yeah. So what can you do to provide good feedback? One, I said reference the brief. That's the Bible. It keeps you objective. All parties, both sides need to be tied to that brief. Avoid phrases like I don't like or anything subjective. I don't like blue doesn't help us. If you say blue feels too soft for the strength of the message we're trying to share, that is something we can go and do something about. 
take the time you need to provide focused feedback. So yes, it's better to hash it out in meetings or in the room immediately. But if you're a processor, which I totally am, and we actually just did this today, you know, Ann and I are playing client on our website. (laughs) So we just did this today with our team. We said, here's our immediate feedback. Here's the direction we want to go. However, we know we need to sit with it Mm -hmm. and we will come back to you with our list together of the things we are aligned to and what we would like you to go do. That's what it looks like. If you need a little bit of time, take it. Do not be afraid to take that route. Take the time to explain the feedback to the team. Do not just give them a laundry list of changes unless this is round 47 and literally we're talking like spelling errors and, you know, UPC codes and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. Uh, But other than that, walk them through the changes, but then their rationale and how this is going to help the process of getting to the next step. Be accessible and collaborative. I've already said that in this episode. Say things like, we realize this is a lot and you might want to digest and come back. Or while I'm giving this feedback, you're the agency and we want to leverage your strengths. So if you have ideas on how to implement the feedback better, we are all ears. And finally, build the relationship. If you matter more to each other as people than the handful of meetings to complete a project, all of this goes much more smoothly. Yep. I think that's really good perspective. Um, As a client, you need to make sure the impact you want to deliver is very, very clear, but resist trying to be prescriptive on how to get there. Yep. This is kind of what I was saying a little bit before in my example, is that when you can be aligned on what success looks like, the how is actually the creative exercise, yep. right? So you can kind of let go of the how a little bit if you all are on the same page about what success looks like. So when I give feedback, I'm very explicit in what I am trying to achieve with regards to impact, with regards to feeling, with regards to a call to action from the consumer or the customer or the client. I'm always trying to put that in the frame of mind of, well, when I was at P&G, the agencies, but now even when we're working with our clients, I, that's, those are the questions I ask, right? To make sure that we are on the same page as we are trying to develop work for them, mm-hmm. which is what do you want your client to do? Or what do you want your consumer to feel? Or what is like success really look like here so that you can all be on the same page with what that looks like? Then you can kind of sit back and you can kind of see that there's multiple different ways, like we talked about, um, in getting there. And it doesn't become a need for the actual client to be prescriptive or provide overly prescriptive feedback. Now, all that being said, um, the biggest disagreement I've had with agencies, and April knows I'm going to go here, is over the use of stunts, all right? That was one where if I saw a stunt and it was not explicitly tied to delivering a level of impact that I had outlined. And I tell you, it was very rare that that ever happened. I was (laughs) extremely upset. So when you're thinking about ways of putting work out in front of your client, I think this is a good example of how to anticipate some of your client's reactions and being able to make sure that you have the right rationale in presenting those ideas, presenting those thoughts. Um, And that way, the conversation can be something that is forwarding the work, not like, why don't you listen to me? Or why wasn't I, you know, why would you put that when you know I don't like those things, right? So that's what I would say here. Yeah. And I I think too, unfortunately, this was... (laughs) 
where my role was limiting a lot of times on the agency side. So, you know, I'll switch hats for a minute here. But as the strategy lead, I was always the one asking the why, right? So to your point about the stunts, like, why would we do that? What does that have to do with the brief? What does that have to do with what we're delivering, right? And so a lot of education had to be done. And I think this is where there's still some rub about why parameters or like Anne said, what aligned success looks like actually takes the handcuffs off and makes the creative work stronger because you know where to go hunt instead of trying to boil the ocean and come up with the most creative idea ever, which I'm using air quotes. So you have to have some foundation that you're building against and evaluating against. Yeah, I feel you on that point. All right. So just to recap, four relationship limiting mistakes clients make. One, treating the agency like a vendor instead of a partner. Strong relationships make the work so much better. We are not order takers. Number two, limiting the agency's exposure too much. Handcuffing us from the start will never get us to where we need to be. Three, heavy handedness in the work product. You hired us for a reason. Please let us do our job, too. And finally, providing feedback that is not helpful. Clear, actionable feedback with the ability to have an ongoing dialogue to get it right is what works. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. And in our next segment in the trenches, we're going to give real world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application for anyone listening to digest and put into action. Number one. What are the circumstances by which you have fired a client? If you remember, I am answering Anne's, what are the circumstances by which you fired an agency? So it should feel similar structurally. First of all, this is a really, really hard thing for an agency to do. We talked about agencies being a little on their heels, feeling a little like a vendor, being the secondary citizen in the conversation. Given that clients feel like they have the upper hand in a lot of ways, that mentality in the industry always gives agencies pause before they ever even consider uttering the words that they might want to fire this client. But when it does happen, it's usually a combination of the following. So the first thing, a continued moving target on the work. For any of the reasons we discussed in the four points, when it feels like we're never actually going to hit it, And we're just swirling and we're using a bunch of resources and now we're throwing things at the wall and we're never getting any positive affirmation. That's what I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. The inability to create a true relationship, which usually ends up in some sort of disrespect in some ways between the teams on either side or he said, she said or all of that kind of stuff. So. I really believe relationships are imperative to the previous point about if you like each other and respect each other as people outside of the work you're doing, it just goes so much more smoothly. Erosion of the team or agency culture being too much of a distraction from the rest of the work and the other clients. This is something that if you are listening and you are on the agency side and you see this happening, you need to blow the whistle sooner rather than later because it's going to have really detrimental effects in other areas, not just with this one client. Too much senior level involvement. 
as dictated by the client and not as a reflection of the agency's lack of ability to put people in the right places and manage their teams and whatever, but where it really becomes the opposite of the agency wanting the highest people in the room. It's the client wanting the highest people in the room and only wanting to hear from them. That's not how agencies are built. Right. We have all different levels of creatives and strategists and account folks, and every single conversation does not mean that you have to have a senior level person in there. So just back off. And when we're doing a good job, let us do our job absent a level. And finally, not worth our time, like literally meaning not worth the time. Like we're not getting paid enough for what the engagement requires. We're so far out of scope. It's ridiculous. We feel like we've, like I said, done everything we can possibly do. And we're just burning through hours and dollars and we're not getting to any sort of solution. So it's not usually any of those one things, but it's usually a culmination. And I think it, like I said, it's really hard, but the ability to call it when you need to is hugely important here. And I think that if clients, by having access to this list, it can help change the lens, right, to at least have a little bit of an insider scoop to what it feels like on our side and what the pitfalls for you are when you're trying to have a good relationship with an agency. Yeah, I, I think this is a very, very good list. Um, now, being in the P&G side, I don't think we've ever had an agency fire a P&G client. No, I mean, it would be career limiting. It'd be ending. Ridiculous, <laughs> right? But I have had people try to fire me as a client late before, right? Mm -hmm. And I've had agency try to do that. And it really came down to a dynamics issue. Mm -hmm. It was really a dynamics issue. And, and it goes back to everything that you were saying before, April, about the human nature of what we're doing here and how important it is you know, to recognize that and to develop those relationships on a human level. That doesn't mean you have to like each other, that you have to no. be friends, but there has to be a level of respect that's actually outlined by the structure, like you talked about, and how important it is to set the structure. The a level of trust that then is established in, as a result of working within the team, like those are such important dynamics in order to make sure that each side has an opportunity to be a part of the process in a way that's going to be conducive to 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 delivering good work that the probably 99% of the time I saw that happen on my side it was because of a dynamic issue. Yeah. And that all being the case too a lot of times the dynamic issue came from either the agent like the client not feeling the agency was doing good work or the agency feeling like the client wasn't being a good partner. Yep. So the two things that we've outlined have been <laughs> or the two sides of the of the tracks that we brought this this topic on have been the key reasons why there is contention at that point. So totally. Yep. All fair. All right. Number two, we feel like we've done a good job against what you suggest as a client, but the agency just isn't getting it. What now? So I'm going to throw you guys a bone here. <laughs> All right. So if you've seriously done everything we outlined here well, I honestly have to say they're probably not the right fit for you. I mean, Anne just preempted this with the dynamic thing, right? We talked in Anne's episode, though, and I was honest about this, too, regarding the agency spin of saying we can do it all and not actually having certain skills in the wheelhouse or the right people in place, all of those things. But if you're not ready to let them go, here are some options. Calling a timeout and getting the right people on both teams in the room to discuss very transparently what is going wrong. Again, communication, relationships. We've talked about this. Not being afraid to say, hang on a minute. We need to just put the brakes on and reset and, you know, put it all out on the table. 
The second one is asking for a change out of the team. Now, no, this will likely require more work on your end for a period of time to get the newbies up to speed, but it might be just what you need to reinvigorate the work or get the right skill sets or just put some new blood into things if that team has been working with you and for you for a very long time. 30 to 60 day action plan of next steps. So there has to be repercussions if you're going to give this a try. So outline really clearly what's gone wrong and what the expectations are for progress you need to see to continue the relationship. So accountability and agreement on both sides. And then finally, asking what you can do to improve on your end. Even if you feel like you've done all you can do, you might get a perspective that you hadn't thought of that can lead to a solution. This is the mutual respect we talked about. You can, of course, feel free to take it or leave it. But being human in this interaction where you are delivering some tough feedback should be much appreciated by your agency partner. But finally, like I said, if you get in a situation where you need to let him go and that is really the right decision, do it quickly and with as much grace as possible. As with any firing, we've talked about letting people go in all capacities on this show. If you have feedback that you think will be helpful, give it. Refrain from subjective feedback that won't be actionable before them. It will be up to them whether they ultimately want to change, but at least it should give you peace of mind that you helped out where you could to make things better for them, hopefully moving forward. Yeah, and I've unfortunately I've had to do all of these things. Um, and sometimes, though, too, is that just like in any relationship, the relationship kind of runs its course in some cases too. Mm-hmm. And there's not anything right or wrong or like that happened that kind of blew things up. And I think it was kind of customary, even for again, right or wrong, that you know when I was at PNG, that agency is usually. Uh, cycled maybe about every four to five years. Yep. Um, and I don't know why exactly that's the case. And obviously some lasted longer than others. But I think it has something to do with the fact that one, agency would tend to get a little bit complacent. Um, or if you flipped it over on the other side, they felt like it was, they kept getting um, kind of shot down yep. on anything that they had ever tried to do that was new. So they just became complacent and because yep. it was safer, right? Beat down. <laughs> yeah, beat down. Um, or, you know, there was so much baggage associated with the dynamics, again, that you can never, like, get past it. Recover, yeah. Yeah, and it was just never, like, and I'm sorry, was just never enough anymore. Mm-hmm. It was just, like, there was just too much, too much baggage there. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, sometimes these relationships follow very similar kind of progressions as any other relationship that we have. So sometimes it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say if I was going to give advice to any agency who wants to maintain uh, a a partner in a client for a long period of time, which sometimes agencies don't, sometimes they want to be done and move on to somebody new too. I mean, Um, some are project based for that very reason. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Is my advice would be to continue to bring new thinking um, whether that it's within your current team, whether that is within like new people that you bring on board, just give them exposure to new thinking that just kind of tends to kind of spark things. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go like do work against that thinking mm-hmm. or but it is like continues to refresh the conversation. It continues to refresh the, the 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 platform for which you're thinking about the brand or the business. And it just helps to keep people a little bit um, more just in the the business, in the brand, 
as opposed to sometimes when these things kind of start running their courses, people start checking out. Yeah. Well, and I think it's no secret either that there's turnover on both sides, right? So when you think about the relationships and the duration of them, I think that plays a lot into where there's limited years or, or whatever. It's like, well, you know, I remember one instance where we had a great relationship on a brand and we were doing absolutely nothing wrong. It was just that a new client came in and took over and brought her team. When, yeah, when is somebody new? And so I think that there's all different reasons, but I do think that there's volatility on both sides as a result. And so you have to be understanding and expecting that change is going to happen. And sometimes it's nobody's fault, really. Right. It's just a situation. Yeah. All right. This is a good one. Now that you work for yourself as an agency, what have you done to be better for your clients? <laughs> turn the tables um well first of all we have super open and honest communication and that's been a thread throughout this entire episode because my belief is that there wasn't transparency if i'm being really honest on both sides a lot of times and it became an us versus them very quickly so we don't do that we're forthright people for a reason we literally live by our name with each other, with our clients, with everybody. We tell you we're going to tell it like it is, and then we do that. And we expect the same from our clients, respectfully, of course, but that is the foundation of who we are. We don't want to work for jerks and put that strain on the system and distract us. Personally, I was in too many situations where we hung on to clients for way too long. And in some cases, it ended the agency, quite frankly. In some cases, it eroded it to an unrecognizable state, and it was just something that could have been prevented. It's so hard to come back from this. You have to have the guts to cut the ties when you need to, and Anna and I are not afraid to walk away at any point. Yep. We require relationships. It's not that we ask for it. We just won't participate or put ourselves in a position to be a vendor because we know we provide so much more value than that. So if the client can't get on board with that and wants the transactional work, we will say that is not who we are. We always, always, always put the client lens on our business, though. So we are regularly asking, and this is part of the reason that our duo works so well, because Anne can play this role regularly, is what would be best for our clients in this situation? And then we make decisions and optimizations of our business, not to our detriment, of course, but mutually beneficially for us and our clients. We are honest about what we do and how we do it. I will never, ever again say, yeah, we do that and then kill myself trying to figure out how to do that. I think I've probably lost years of my life to that and I will never do that again. So those are mine. Well, what about when you said we don't do that? And I'm like, uh, I do <laughs> oh, that. <geez>. Fine, <laughs> That was fine. very, very early fine, on fine. when yeah. April said, we don't do PR. And I'm like, um, I do PR. <laughs> I have PR for 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, I got a phone call after that of like, do you not want to do PR? I'm like, what do you mean? She was like, "Uh, that is part of communications. I'm like, right. (laughs) And I had to readily apologize for still operating as a one woman show. So I did do that. I did say, sorry, you just got to kick me next time. Yeah, I mean, those those were funny. Those were funny learning, you know, circumstances as we kind of built things. So I just recall that one. I'll never forget that one ever. (laughs) Um, so I think another point that I would add here is um, very tactically speaking, is we've changed our whole structure too. Oh, absolutely! To be very really good non-agency like, right? Yeah. What I a big selling point for April and I is that it's just April and I, and mm-hmm. I say just in air quotes, um, but the soul of forthright people is the two of us. But we have fantastic. 
fantastic people that we bring in to support the work Mm -hmm. that we can bring in and out depending on what the client needs. Mm -hmm. So they're not sitting on our bench where we have to pay overhead for them. And so to speak, if we don't like them, although we love everybody, so I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way that works for us because we love everybody we work with. We can say, oh, that worked for that project or that was okay for that project. And then we kind of move them on, right? So it does give us that flexibility. And so that's another one that I'd say is when you're – a typical agency structure is one where you have to have everybody on the bench, um, which provides a ton of overhead for your clients. Mm -hmm. Depending on which clients that you're going to plan to service, which we want to service small, medium-sized businesses, that wasn't going to to work for us. So. Now, I mean, if, if you guys want to go out and do that structure, go do that structure. That's, that's totally fine by us. But I, I think it's also kind of flipping a little bit on its on its head, right? And and not kind of taking the typical agency ways of doing things and thinking that that's the only way of doing things. Yeah. Well, and I also think to build on that point, I feel like the really important thing about that, too, is that clients are becoming more savvy to that structure and approach as well. And so I think if you haven't been rethinking it, I would recommend you do it from my time in the agency because I see the world changing drastically. But the other thing is that you don't have to do one or the other. And I think there are smarter agencies in this area that are tapping people that have the expertise that don't work for them and doing a bit of a hybrid approach. And I think that that's really smart, too, because you bring in fresh thinking, but you have the legacy of what works. There's processes in place and you have more flexibility than when you have people just sitting around in any position instead of bringing them on when you can actually use them. Yeah. All right, number four. This one's a big gulp for me. Um, what are agencies saying about their clients, really? I kind of want to plead the fifth, but I won't. <laughs> um, but seriously, with true partnerships, we definitely keep it on the up and up. Anne and I don't have any clients we don't like as people. I mean, to the point about not working with jerks, it makes it pretty easy when you make that part of your criteria. So it makes it easy for us to respect them and the relationships we have with them and the role we play in their business. So that's not lip service. That is 1000% true. And actually, it puts a lot of joy, I think, in my soul and releases a lot of anxiety because I just hated when that was when any sort of relationship started to go that way. Like when there was just like, negative energy and negative speak and that was what all the conversations were and the work took a back seat like I just always felt really sick about that so I'm happy not to have that as part of my life anymore and to that point I've been in bad situations for sure but some of the common complaints if you will in an effort to help the situation upon which I built this episode uh, I'll just kind of roll through these as a summary so too risk averse not willing to take changes or make changes with us. Again, there needs to be a balance of this. But when it is just so soul sucking (laughs) and dictatorial, this is one of those reasons. Asking us to go too far and then saying it's too far. Well, how far is far enough? Let's build those parameters we talked about before and have some of that in place. That statement of I know it when I will see it. And now we're at round 17. I mentioned this one before, but it really is just the crux of a lot of what we always talked about. Not willing to consider our perspectives. This goes to the vendor pitfall. 
if you think you know better than us, then why did you hire us? I mean, that just mm-hmm. really doesn't give us any compelling reason to want to do the work. This one I know is going to hurt, but not knowing a good idea when they see one. I know this is a bit of a low blow. That statement comes out of frustration typically, but the same way we're perceived to only want to win awards, clients don't always have the best eye for creative. I will say that. I think that's fair. <laughs> not me, of course, not but you, for of course, others. Yeah. Getting feedback from people not qualified to give feedback. Um, this <laughs> just, I mean... <laughs> When you did the roundtable and you had a lot of people in the room and you were left with like, well, what am I supposed to do and who do I listen to? Especially if you thought the young guy had the best idea. You knew that wasn't going to roll. Overtly trying to get more than you paid for by saying things like this has the potential to turn into much more work, which means they're going to give us a big deal. We can see that coming a million miles away. And I'm sure there are more, but that was the ones that really came to mind and they were on my mind as we went through this episode. Yep. Um, Yep. Those are definitely true. And, you know, and it's kind of funny seeing these on the other side of it because I can appreciate some of these a whole lot more. Um, And I've (laughs) I shared that on the last episode. um, That was the flip of this about how I have a little bit more humbleness when it comes to some of these things, Um, specifically getting feedback from people not qualified to give feedback. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I think we literally have one of our clients. Well, I shared this with my mom and my mom said, and yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. My, and your mom is like, again, who? I'm like, I was like, uh, OK, OK, um, how do we deal with this? Um, but that would totally been something that somebody would have said on our side. I mean, it was infamous for like our folks to be like, well, I shared this with my wife. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're just like and it seemed very reasonable at the time to get additional feedback. But now being on the other side, I'm like. Um, okay. <laughs> so some of these I, I definitely uh, can appreciate a whole lot more. Um, and I'm trying to uh, put my karma back into the system. <laughs> but I think these are all all fair. All right. Well, I'm not going to say another word then. All right. On to our third and final segment, which is Marketing Smarts Moments and it might or might not have anything to do with the topic at hand, but it's something we've experienced recently in the world of branding and marketing and want to bring to you. So this one has nothing to do with client <laughs> um, relationships or agency client dynamics. Well, I'm going to guess it's there's something that there is because somebody lost that whatever that conversation oh. was. No, well, and yeah. And this so, all came to life. So. Yes, yes. Something we, we might not know what happened, but yes. something definitely there, happened. I think this is a byproduct. Yes. I will say that of yes. a not great relationship. But I feel like this is one of the things that I do in life that I just recently has really stuck with me. And so now I'm doing it more and more. But it's like when I see a campaign or something out there that leaves me scratching my head and then I can't stop thinking about why it doesn't work. It just is there. So I'm using this to just like get it out. So anyway, there is a new super dark got milk campaign out. And I actually did go online and try to research and see who did it and where it came from. And I really wasn't finding much. This is purely my personal opinion. I will say I've talked about the beverage industry before, and I think what is happening in total in the beverage industry is just the pure proliferation of, I mean, explosion of the number of different types of drinks that are out there and people trying to stake their claim is the reason that we've gotten a lot of super odd, weird, not what I would consider to be highly strategic campaigns. And for me, this is one of them. So 
there is a billboard located right as I exit the highway here from 71 South onto 8th Street to come into the studio to record the podcast. And there's I, two now. And yeah, there's two. But the yeah. yeah, the one. Yes, there's two like almost side by side, yeah. really. But yes. Anyway, so these <laughs> these signs are there. And the first time I saw it, it was like so jarring. I was like, that's the Got Milk campaign? What is that? I mean, it was dreary and dark. And so now I've continued to think about it and I continue to see it. And so I'm like, I'm just at a complete loss for how or why that became the approach. Because over the years, and I actually worked on the milk category, so we were, you know, peripherally associated with the groups that promote just milk in total, right? We had to join with them, whatever. But... I've always been kind of pleasantly surprised, like the milk mustache and then the iteration with the athletes. And, you know, I actually felt like the positioning was always pretty solid and pretty good and it did the role that it needed to. But here I am. I'm like, okay, it's super dark and black and white. It feels really heavy. It does not look at all appetizing like something I want to drink. I'm a mom of kids, which is a positioning of milk still. And I feel like it should be. I don't wouldn't serve my kids that my kids wouldn't look at that and want to drink that and there isn't like a oh it's good if you work out Ben or any other thing that gives me a reason for why that exists so I'm not sure who the demographic is I don't know why that was the decision I don't get any health benefit whatsoever I feel scared of putting that in my body which is to me the opposite of what it should be so I'm at a loss and I don't know how you feel yeah, I, I saw that on my way in, too, because I hadn't seen it until you, you put it in here. And I, I, I have to agree. The thing that I want to ladder back up to is industry-specific campaigns anyway. Uh, I mean, we've yeah. seen them you know, for milk. We see them for cotton. We see yeah. them for le- lots of things. And, yep. it, and you always look and you're kind of wondering who the target is for those and what you want them to do as a result, right? Mm-hmm. If that was a campaign to help me, like, encourage me to want to go buy milk on behalf of the dairy industry, I would be left scratching my head too. It actually feels a very symbolic of everything that everybody's doing now to put alcohol in everything, right? Yes. It kind of feels a little bit like, oh, or coffee has drinks alcohol. drinks that are or, like alcohol. Right, right. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I was like, uh, I'm left scratching my head a little bit too about what they're trying to convince the consumer of based on you know whatever industry beliefs that there are out there. Like mm-hmm. I... I I don't understand either. So I have to agree with you on this one that I was not quite certain what they were trying to convey yep. as a result of the ad. Um, again, you and I, I mean, I have older kids, so it's not like, you know, we're in the same you know, d- stage of mm-hmm. our life, even though we're probably in the same demographic. Psychographics are a little bit different. So there's two data points very significant data points that like, uh, we just don't get it. Yeah. And then add, you know, the marketing element of that. It's like, yeah, I just, I don't get it. All right. Well, so there we go. I'm We're with aligned. you on that one. All right. So just to recap, four relationship limiting mistakes clients make. Number one, treating the agency like a vendor instead of a partner. Strong relationships make the work so much better. We are not order takers. Limiting the agency's exposure too much. Handcuffing us from the start will never get us to where we need to be. Heavy-handedness in the work product. You hired us for a reason. Please, please, please let us do our job too. And finally, providing feedback that is not helpful. Clear, actionable feedback with the ability to have an ongoing dialogue to get it right is what works. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. 
We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.